let off some steam venom. I'd like to take his his face. Welcome, 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 welcome back to class. Welcome back to the Fundamentals of Action Films 101. Um, and we will be talking about a new movie today, Face Off, which was released June 27th, 1997, directed by John Woo, starring John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, the illustrious Joan Allen, and Gina Gershon. The movie had a budget of $80 million dollars, and returned with a box office figure of $245.7 million. Uh, the synopsis of the film, uh, there's a guy named Castor Troy, who is a thorn in the side of a federal officer named uh, Archer? Sean Archer. Sean Archer. And the two of them are basically trying to neutralize each other for their own particular reasons. Um, I'm not going to go any further than that, because uh, we're going to do a little breakdown and discussion. Initial thoughts, Sarah, what did you think? I have a lot of feelings. We started off on a high, and then it went even higher. And now uh, we're in the depths of... We're, we've went down. <laughs> Let me okay. say this movie wasn't made for me. Yeah. Um, well, actually, explain to me why it wasn't made for you. And then maybe maybe there's some tropes involved that can explain why it may not have been for you. Hmm. Where do I begin? Uh <laughs> <laughs> I think, especially now, watching a kid get shot is not where I'm here for. Maybe very uncomfortable. I don't want to be that guy, but <laughs> to be fair, it did not show the bullets hit the kid directly. They made sure that we can't literally put a bullet through a child directly. So if we go through Travolta's body, it, it makes it a little bit more heroic for Travolta's side. And more tragic as well. And I understand your point, though. Literally, first two minutes, child gets sniped on a, on a carousel, and then the carousel then starts speeding up, and then the imagery gets completely weird. I I, I can understand that. It was like the whole like slow motion, and then you know the trope of through this movie, the theme of the hand to the face, the like hand mm. stroking of the face, and obviously you knew bad shit was going to happen. It wasn't like oh, this is going to be a nice moment. For a father and son. Well, no. When, when you see when you see uh, Nicholas Cage perched near a sniper rifle, yeah, you know something's up. I'm like, oh no, not the baby. Yeah, the baby. I mean, yeah, they didn't show blood, sure, but it was obviously implied, <laughs> or more than implied, that child died from from bullet. <laughs> so yes, I was like, oh god, I'm not gonna like this movie, am I? I think I spent most of the movie being like, okay, are we done yet? I would be at like 30 minutes in and I'd be like, we're still going an hour in. We're still going. I was like, this movie is two over two hours. There was a part where I was like, no one's dead yet. Well, not no one, but the, you know, cage and Travolta. I'm like, we're still dueling. This is still going. We still are facing off, if you will. Yes. The, the word has a uh, dual meanings, of course. Yeah, I can. I can see. I had that feeling probably when I watched it a longer time ago. Not when it came out. When it came out, I was super entertained. I mean, I was a young kid. These things happen. But I think there was a point in between then and now where I watched it maybe on cable. Like there was a, there's a period of time somewhere in the middle where the movie just drags for me at that point. But rewatching it now, outside of a, I'd say there's the point maybe four fifths in where they try to humanize Castor Troy a little. I felt that's where it dragged, but. Overall, I was there for, I was entertained for most of this, uh, this ride. What was the part that it dragged for you? Was it like when they were like, oh, he's going to save this child, this horrible person's child? Yeah. The, when they, when they mentioned that it was his kid, at that moment, you're humanizing Captain Troy a little bit, even though you know it's not technically Troy. It's Travolta in Troy's skin. The fact that he had a kid, it's supposed to, I guess, make this realer for both sides. Because Archer's just chasing him down because his son was killed. But now you know that Castor has a child too, so Archer has to sort of process that immediately on the spot. Obviously, there's a sh then a shootout happens, so you know he doesn't have real, he doesn't really have time to process it. But at the, you know at the end of that little shootout, he says, you know, you don't have to worry. You know, Archer will be off your back for good. And then of course they're trying to also 
convince his wife that he was truly Sean Archer. That little stretch right there, it kind of dragged a little bit for me. But like I said, everything else, I was highly entertained for particular reasons. I felt that this movie, especially for, for an action film, this is sort of the film where you notice excess. I guess we this can sort of tie in the tropes as well. Action films are about excess. Body counts, vehicles crashing, property damage, explosions. This is this is when it gets to a point where it's like this might just be too much. As you as you said while you were watching it, is it over yet? Is it over yet? This is the type of this is the type of action film where it's just like, okay, we're gonna blow everything up. We're we're blowing up boats, cars, planes. Oh my. We want to blow up the LA Convention Center, but we disarm that. We're we're blowing up everything. We're we're smashing through skylights. Very in with boobs, by the way. Well, yes, graphics. Uh, I, who who might have programmed that? I don't know. Probably John Wood did that. Anyway, yeah, but this this is this is sort of like a level of excess that I don't want to say that all action films have going forward because they don't. But this is this is a common level of excess that a lot of these films have. Um, so you're going to have to be on the watch for stuff like that. Now, they're not all going to push the envelope like this one. See, this, there's the excess of, you know, body count, property damage, explosions, but not all of them have criminals dressed up as priests grabbing butts. That, that's not, that's not necessarily a common theme. There's, there's misogyny. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that in this movie. I wasn't prepared for it because I didn't remember it. Seeing older films through modern eyes, these things kind of pop up pretty easily and you have to, you have to power through them to a degree because you have to understand this This was made from in an earlier time. 97 was a different time. This sort of stuff was, it was out there in, in the public eye, but we just kind of accepted it as this is how action films are. Now, not so much. We don't, we don't really do stuff like that anymore. So it pushes an edge that I think uh, a lot of people may not be comfortable with now, but back then that was sort of the status quo. Yeah, I think that's what's been the challenge of watching these with a 2021 lens. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're like, oh, that can't fly now. It's weird to watch. As soon as the pre-scene happened, I was like, this, this wouldn't fly now. And I said it very loudly. I was like, no, this, this is not going to fly. This will get everybody canceled. This whole movie will get shut down. Twitter will be ablaze about how upset they are about that this was in the film. Who let this pass, you know? Didn't the studios understand this was just insensitive material? But then you have a, uh, a group of people my age and older who look back and see that film as a classic. Like, oh, Face Off is one of my favorite action films of all time. It was so entertaining, X, Y, Z. So there's always going to be uh, mixed views on a film like this. Well, I think what was funny to me was the scene where Nicolas Cage is like on the jet trying to get away and that person that's supposed to be an fbi that you don't know is an fbi agent yet where she basically just immediately like gets seduced by him like it was like there was no conversation it was just like suck my tongue yeah yeah and she's like okay <laughs> i'm like that was quick see yeah because i've watched enough films that it was implied that she was supposed to be undercover so i'm sure i'm assuming she was supposed to do whatever he asked to not blow said cover but it was never really explained to such a degree that it was that clear. That scene was also pretty gross to me. I, I didn't remember it as that uh, explicit, because I, re I remember the, the line about the peaches. He took my oh, I can eat a peach for hours. I'm like, okay, I get it. But then he said the he, the part about sucking his tongue, and I was like, oh my, oh, okay. This might be a little much for even me. Like, this, 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 this is uh, offending my sensibilities. I'd fan myself as if I was a uh, Southern de debutante with one of those fans at a, a cotillion. I, I laughed more out of shock than anything else for that one. You sound more classier than me watching it because I was just like shouting blech just over and over and over again. I'm like, can we not? Can we like skip over this, please? I was not classy about it. So kudos. This, this, is, this is probably the one episode where we have our major divergence in terms of what we thought of the final product. I can foresee at the end our rating system. Yours may be much lower than mine on this one. I feel like that's correct, yeah. Fine, that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, that's the whole point of this, right? 
It's like there's going right. to be stuff that's going to be we're going to diverge on things and and there's going to be stuff that's going to be entertaining and enjoyable. True. I what's, what's interesting to me is that I thought that you would like this one because of how extra the film was because of Cage's and Travolta's portrayals of their characters. I thought that that would power you through to the end. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is a challenge as an actor to have to play a character, but then also play another character playing the character. Right. Like there's layers of that. And I was like, okay, I can respect that and see what they're doing. Like I said in the last episode to see Travolta not in a disco jumpsuit. (laughs) I was like looking at John Travolta and Nicolas Cage's IMDb because I was wondering where was the turn for them? Or I guess more so for Travolta in terms of, becoming more into the action lane. And I thought this was it, but then I, re- I remember that Pulp Fiction is before this movie. So I was yes, like, Pulp Fiction kind of got him away from the whole, when he was doing like comedies or doing musicals or that sort of thing. And that shifted him into this lane. So it was just interesting to see that as someone that hasn't really, I've seen Pulp Fiction, so I, I know he can do the things, but it was just interesting to see him in this type of machismo, if you will. Yeah, this is this is definitely a heavy macho alpha male type of activity. Also, back in the nineties, they the film started to skew a bit more violent. Eighties were a bit of a hodgepodge of everything, where you had humor, you had fantasy, you had college dorm films where you know girls get naked and run around uh, campus. Uh, you you had dramas, you had tear jerkers, you had musicals, you had everything. The nineties skewed definitely a little harder. Gang movies, jail movies, futuristic dystopian films, uh, hijackings. Um, we, we were skewing darker when it came to Hollywood action. This might have been peak 90s. Maybe even above the peak. It might have been floating. Like if this was, if the 90s were Mount Everest, this was like right above Mount Everest. Like you're looking up and movies floating above it due to the excess of what we saw. I mean, I think I enjoyed the excess the excess violence, I think, or the excess explosions in Die Hard, for example. It took me a little longer for some reason in this one than it has in the other movies. Understood. Understood. Uh, to me, a thing I noticed is this movie was pretty sloppy in terms of the body doubles. I, I kept noticing during a lot of the action sequences where it's supposed to be Cage or Travolta, like you could clearly see that the body double was in play there. Uh, or they're just leaping off of an oil tanker, or they're jumping out of this, or they're flying over this, or they're flipping over this. To see the person, the stunt double, more so than I expected, that, that to me provided a level of entertainment as well. It, it counts as a demerit. It counts as a negative towards the film overall, because you see that lack of precision to detail. So it does count against the film, but for me, that also somewhat entertainment. Yeah, I definitely noticed that in the when Nicolas Cage when he escapes from the prison and jumps into the water, right? There's like that long slow motion drop, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, hey body double, I see you." When the turbine uh, blew him against that that metal fence when they first arrested him, you could just you could just tell that was him laying against the grate, and then they switched, and then it, then they did a close up of his face, and it was him again. But again, it's that whole like suspension of disbelief thing where it's like they're so sloppy that they don't give a shit that you can see that it's the double. Right. And I think it's also because of how frenetic everything was, they figured you would just miss it. Because everything's just flying around at a a breakneck speed. This is how you end up missing, or how you don't notice the edges aren't cut so finely. Right. I think the movie itself to me still felt pretty slow moving, even though there was a lot going on. So maybe because we're more used to... We wanted, we're wanted. we watching this to notice a lot of the the craft of it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're just watching it just to like at a, at a quick glance or if you're just like turning away or blinking, you might not notice it. Yeah, fair point, fair point. But I mean, I do want to bring up, they do love a slow-mo in general. And, <laughs> and I assume that that's, you know, and what we've seen, I'm assuming, playing to the trope of it all. That is part action trope. Slow-mo is a big, big part of action films. This one obviously more than the other two, but this is also a big thing that John Woo himself does. His history is doing Asian action films. He's known for doing Hard Boiled and another film called Better Tomorrow. Spoiler alert, 
those two films are not part of this this particular season. But um, I also look for them online. There's, they're not streaming anywhere, from what I see. Those films, they're even more excessive than this in terms of the slow motion, in terms of the body count, the explosives. Everything just gets destroyed in his films. But that's just that's how he chooses to make his films. His films are chaotic, frenetic, up-tempo, but then they also have that element of elegance in terms of some of the stuff on the outside. You might have noticed some opera music playing during certain scenes of face of this one. He has that going in a lot of his other films. The birds, uh, those white pigeons, or the doves at the church when they were doing that memorial service for the guy that uh, Travolta karate chopped in the back of the neck. Uh, those dubs are a staple of all of his films. There's always at least one scene where uh, the person with the guns, there's usually two of them, they come into the room and the birds fly away and then he they just start shooting. That's 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 a, a visual trick of his that he loves to do. The two guns uh, being shot at the same time, that's a thing of his as well. Uh, crossing one's arms to then shoot people on either side of you, that's another thing of his as well. The sliding, the flipping, and the rolling, that's another thing of his as well. Um, so it's an interesting blend of Asian sensibilities with what Hollywood was trying to do back in the 90s. So they try, they try to blend the two of them together to varying degrees of success for us as watchers. Uh, you felt it was, it, it, it just kept going and going. Me, the younger me enjoyed it, but the older me, I, it's not that I hated it. It's, I just found it very interesting to see just regular guys sliding around shooting guns at people. In the, in the films that John Woo makes, a lot of the people have a sense of style and cool to them. So like a guy like Caster Troy sliding around doesn't bother me as much. Or Sean Archer is like the clean cut, super cool uh, federal agent. But if you have like just Joe Schmo or Henchman A or Henchman B sliding around, then I start laughing because I find that a bit more preposterous than it would be in, in a John Woo film made in Asia. Yeah, I mean, for me, I still felt like it was a couple of schmoes sliding around. I'm just, I, I get it. I get it. Because they, they tried they tried to jazz Cage up with colors. You know, they gave him all these silts and... The cape. Yeah, and the, and the bright colors early on. But over time, you're right. It, it was, they were just schmoes. You know, Jake Whiteman or John White Guy just getting blown away with a shotgun. It looked comical after a while. Speaking of Joe White Guy, what I noticed was they all, I guess a lot of these movies have a, a sensible black man, at least in the, as a side, as a sidekick. I'm, I'm starting to notice a trend of that. Yeah, there, there is, there is the sensible black person, but then there's all, it could be a white guy too. Like the guy who got karate chops and had a heart attack. His character is probably one of those guys who's like the police chief who you would normally bounce ideas off of and he'd be supportive or he, he'd be the one that would break the law and say, go on, get out of here. You've got one hour, then we're coming with the rest of the cavalry, so you better tie it up in an hour. He's one of those guys. But yeah, the, the sensible black guy, I think that might be more of a thing from the 80s and 90s. We'll, we'll see as things go along. We'll keep an eye on Yeah, I just knew that I saw that guy from somewhere and I was like, he's definitely been in a lot of things that I've seen. That man has a very long IMDb, so kudos to that man for working. There are a lot of familiar faces in this film that I didn't remember being in it. Margaret Cho? <laughs> I think it's hilarious that she's in this movie. And she, and she plays it as straight as an arrow. She plays it very, very straight. I was like, wow. They didn't even, they didn't even let her ad lib. They didn't let her do anything. We could have used it. That's another thing I wanted to mention. What I liked about the other films we've seen so far is that there's comedy. And that there's some break in it. And I feel like Margaret Cho would have been a really nice comedic break if they let her be Margaret Cho. I mean, but I don't see a place for it necessarily. I think maybe in some of the office scenes that there could be some light sprinklings that could be fun. But I don't know. I just feel like I could have used a laugh minus the explosions, which aren't supposed to necessarily make you laugh. But the amount of them did. I think I think there were a few quips that were supposed to be comedy. The Travolta line about lies, half-truths. And mixed messages. This must be what real marriage is like. Oh yeah. The, oh, when he when, when he drove into the suburbs for the first time, uh, he said he'll never get a hard on ever again. That was supposed to be funny. 
Also, the face off. The only thing that really made me laugh was I was wondering when they were going to say face off in the movie. Oh, the title drop? There's always a title drop. That's, that's, I think with this one, it was especially heavy handed. It was so heavy. It was like, I want his face off. I felt that that was entertaining. Like the, the over, the over the top nature of them doing the fingers. Like, uh, the bald guy, Nick, Nick Cassavetes' character. When he, when he kept doing it, I laughed even more. No, he was fun. He was, he was a mess, but I liked him. And then they humanized him at the end. Yeah, yeah. It was just very interesting how he could talk so clearly, and then two seconds later, like, fruit punch is pouring out of his neck, and I'm just like, and he can't talk, and he just starts moaning, and he just goes down like a, a sack of laundry. And I, they did play with who you sympathize with, I think, so it wasn't necessarily cut and dry so much of the good versus evil. I mean, obviously you knew the goal of who's supposed to be the good one, who's supposed to be the bad one, but when they right. crossed into each other's territories for a second, not as much Cage's character. Well, Travolta playing Cage. He has small moments of like doing something decent, but I don't think it changes your perception of him. I feel like they both cross into their each other's opposite side. I get it. They they tried to humanize both sides of both characters. Maybe they were talking about the duality of man. Ah, sure. Probably not. Probably not. Um, the funny thing I, as I think back to the film, they made sure to at least have you understand who was the good guy versus the bad guy, even when they switched looks. Because with Cage playing Travolta, he didn't have that much character growth. He helped the daughter change her look, but other than that, that pretty much was it. Yeah. But Tra uh, Travolta playing Cage, you had to have him still have more growth. Like, that's why even at the end where he brings home the other child who looks exactly like his son, you're just stacking the, the positive merits of that character even more. It was funny because I wrote down, so you kept your son's killer's son? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I understood yes. why. Yes. Kept your son's killer's son. I mean, yeah. I get the point of it, but I was like, all right, this is, we're not going to say how twisted this is, but sure. The, yeah, I think that's kind of... That's just part for the course of the movie. It's just... I mean, they foreshadowed it in a sense, so... Yeah, but oh, even the part in jail where the guy, when uh, Castor gets to jail the first time with the magnetic boots, and that guy beats him up, and he doesn't understand why he beat him up, and he says, uh, Pollux, the brother, says, oh, you had a sex sandwich with his wife and his sister. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I hated sex sandwich. I was like, Jesus that was such that was bad dialogue it was, it was probably one of the worst lines in the film all right all right tomato lettuce bread go ahead <laughs> that guy then helps him spring out of jail just by giving him an apology that's not how that gets resolved in, in any film this is this isn't like a um, an infomercial or one of those after school specials even even in a film like this there has to be a little bit more than just oh i apologize and then you sort of Maybe like wink at him or make some eye contact, and then the guy just—he just springs into action. Yeah, he just—he just starts. He turns into a a, a killer of men. I, I don't—I don't know how that works. And you also don't know anything about that person's character that would make him jump that quickly to his side. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he apologized, right. but like, what drove him? Was it just because he was there about to kill him? I guess maybe that's the motivation or shock treatment him or whatever that whole thing was. But even even still, if that was the guy who had who had had the sex sandwich. Uh, with oil and vinegar, salt, salt and pepper. Uh, I don't know if I would have helped him out. I would have like, okay, you get a couple shots too. <laughs> you can, you get let up a little bit. I would just be making a lot of sex sandwich jokes. I wouldn't be shooting anybody. There'd be nothing left for me being like sex grilled cheese. But I don't, I don't think that guy would have referred to as what happened with Caster as a sex sandwich. Pollock has that character for sure. They're also gross. That is true. No one comes out of this squeaky clean. No, uh, no one. Not a single person. Everybody's covered in some sort of filth, grime, saliva, grit, mold. No one's clean, and that's kind of a rarity for an action film. Well, I guess maybe that's John Woo's discussions that where everybody has some dirt on them in some way. To go back to the duality of man joke, but. Maybe he was kind of trying to show that humanity is pretty much... There's there's a part of them that is clean, and there's a part of them that's still kind of grimy, dirty, underneath. Well, one of my notes was when Cage is playing Travolta, when he's pulling Danny Masterson out of the car when he's attacking the daughter. I wrote, oh, he has a soul for the daughter he wanted to fuck. Because in the beginning, yeah. he like, looks at her ass and all of that, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> 
duality of man, I suppose. Yeah, what did he say? Oh, the plot thickens. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, see, that's kind, of, that's kind of where you push that edge. That's where it's, you know, the, the stuff that's just not going to fly. Like, you, they're not hinting at incest in current films like that. Back then, you kind of hinted at the idea of younger woman, older man type stuff. Um, and then he then he pressed it even more where he he kind of leaned in and says he wants he wanted something or he was craving something and then he leans in twice and he was extra pervy like it's you know most people would have to take a shower after that scene sometimes for the, for the work you got to power through I mean I did the work don't get me wrong but I definitely had to pause it for a hot second understood and be like oof. I, yikes. It was visceral. It was like a visceral reaction that I didn't expect that I was going to have in this movie. But I mean, they, they, set the, they set the scene for you with the uh, the earlier scene with the priest and the, and the choir girl. Yeah, no, I knew there was going to be some ass grab. I didn't remember the ass grab. So that kind of... That's on you. Yeah, I kind of I kind of threw my head back and like howled with laughter, but it's not uh, like, oh, this is funny. This is more like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> more than anything. But what I will say about the daughter is in the beginning when she's like trying to rebel in whatever way that is, those like sharpied on eyelashes. What kind of rebellion is that? Is that what these grown white men that probably wrote this movie see as rebellious teen women? That's that's definitely, I think, what it was more of than anything. I don't think they had somebody who could identify with what a teenager would be doing. So they just said, oh, well, you know, maybe they, they refer to what their daughters may have done. Like, oh, they put on some eyeliner. Uh, they might have had the lady in makeup. Oh, put some weird eyeliner on her and then just go from there. I was like, who draws on eyelashes? I know people that draw on their eyebrows, but that was excessive. Yeah, she looks she looks like an idiot. This poor actress. Yeah, she that's that's more who I felt bad for was the actress. Um, hopefully she got more, more work after this. I think she did. Hopefully they paid her extra for the eyelashes. <laughs> She probably got a, a couple extra minutes of sleep in her trailer. They're like, yeah, we'll let you have a, a 7 a.m. call instead of a 5.30. Yeah. Um, a, another trope that I noticed, especially in this film, as compared to the other two, is the lack of a strong woman. Everyone is sort of deferential to the male characters. And there's very few. Like, even, even if they have good jobs, even if they are in positions of power or in high-ranking situations, the lack of strength... Unfortunately, it's more commonplace than not. Uh, I don't think it, I've, I don't think I've seen one in a while where it's just across the board everybody is subpar. But I just wanted to make that something that you would be aware of going forward. Like if if you end up getting through a film and noticing that there aren't any strong female characters, that there may be a reason why. Uh, we may have to check the time frame of when the movie was released as well. Because sometimes in certain periods, certain decades, the women really didn't have it all that well. I mean, it's not just an action film, too. There's a lot of genres in the past and some currently that the women are second fiddle and, and we're still playing those games in a way. And this was just a, another one where it's just like, at least the wife specifically, uh, John Travolta's wife, Eve, it was just very one note. Like there was no depth to, you know, you didn't really build her up. Minus the fact she has a powerful job as a doctor. Right. They, I think they felt that they had done the work back then by giving them, you know, titles like doctor, lawyer. Uh, there's usually a high-paying job of some sort so that they can all live the lives that they're living, you know, these suburban lives. Like, no one's struggling with the bills unless it's specifically written in that they're struggling with the bills, and then, then that's another trope altogether where then that's probably leading towards some sort of heist or money grab or life change that comes along with the film. Right. I think the the women in this, I think they could have played something where they could have had more to them and they could have built up the the doctor stuff. She seemed like she was home a lot for a for a doctor. And I'm like, this doesn't seem realistic. She also seemed very well rested. Yeah, she seemed like she was, the skin was glowing. <laughs> I mean, Eve's not really stressed out like that. Like, Eve just gets in, ices and dices, and then she's uh, back at it. I, I think you spoiled me with showing me Hannah. I didn't think I would. I don't think I, I didn't think I would. Because everybody was so, like, you know, we talked about Kate Blanchett and we talked about just Saoirse Ronan and their characters were so multifaceted and they had so much depth to them and they were strong women. It was nice to see that. And I know that's not a common thing. And that also showed in the budget and the box office and what is known and what isn't. 
that wasn't that's not driving anybody the art of it wasn't necessarily driving people in the way that like something like face off and the machismo of that or bruce willis and die hard it's a different drive yeah i mean that's the compare and contrast this is definitely a contrast to probably both of the of the earlier films because even with die hard having a macho lead it still felt there was artistic license there there's there's some of the shots the elegance of the villain the way that it wasn't it wasn't just a, a, a savage guy versus guy type battle played out across a, an entire city like face-off was die hard was singularly held in one building there was something controlled about it refined i mean looking back at it comparing it to, to face off in this yeah that looks like you know great expectations or like a Jane Austen novel compared to this. Yeah, this 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 is definitely a, a change of pace. I remembered this being frenetic, but I didn't think it was, especially compared with Hannah, I didn't notice how stark a difference it would be between that film and this. And that's funny that you say that because, like with Hannah, the cinematography was something I noticed a lot in, in Hannah, even in Die Hard. But in this, I wasn't focused on that. The art of it wasn't even something I was looking at. You just see explosion. You just see, I mean, the slow motion, obviously, and, and, and that kind of work, and the special effects, makeup, and stuff like that I was noticing. But for me, there was like an art to the stuff in Die Hard and in, and in Hannah. And they were revolution. I mean, I think Face Off was that way, too, where it revolutionized the genre in some way. I wasn't noticing the art of it as much with this than I did in the other ones. You know what I'm saying? Because I think it was just the focus was on the dynamic between the two leads right. and the gunfights and explosions. You could say that this might have been a gentrified version of what John Woo would normally do. Because I I would suggest as extra credit or as like something you do off on the side is if you can if you can find Hard Boiled or Better Tomorrow and watch that, maybe you can see what Woo can do in in his own environment. Because there's a lot of when Hollywood knows that a guy is hot somewhere else, they go out and try and poach what they can of that director. And Wu was a big deal in Asia. And Wu wanted to make the crossover to Hollywood. And I'm sure they offered him a boatload of money. And he, he made a lot of films. Not a lot. He made a few films here in America. Action films especially. I think his product that he made in Asia is a bit more artistic than what you saw with this one. In the time, was it known for the cinematography? Was that a conversation? Not, to, it, it would never be to the level of Hannah. Uh, but I think there was a certain level of, I don't want to say elegance. There, there was something to it. There's always a juxtaposition between the violence and beauty for a guy like Wu, where he, with the birds and the music and the, the style of the clothing and all of that stuff mixed in with the stylistic nature of the violence. And it was always it was always the emotional uh, pulling on the heartstrings as well. So like A Better Tomorrow, uh, the story of that pulled at the heartstrings a little bit. What is another film that he did? He did Hard Boiled. That was 92. Yeah, like there's a, there's a guy who's saving a baby in Hard Boiled. So you, you get to see like a guy sacrificing for the sake of a, a, a baby. You know, that type of stuff was... It's, I feel like it's done better in Hong Kong action versus it being done here in America. But like you said, it was more more so a vehicle to elevate Travolta and Cage. Yeah, because Cage, I think Cage at that time was doing uh, films with Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer. So he was he was jumping off cliffs and shooting guns. And he had a, he had a run, I think, was it after Face Off? Where he just started, you know, just doing a whole bunch of action films. Let me see if I can pull up his filmography. So this came out in 97, 97. Yeah, he did Con Air in 97. He did The Rock in 96. Snake Eyes was another action film. And that was 98. Gone in 60 Seconds was 2000. Yeah, so like the late 90s, he was he was on a run. And then he took a break. Because if you, actually, if you go back three years prior, the movies that he released were a romantic comedy with him and Bridget Fonda. Another film was a Christmas-themed crime comedy with him, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey. So four years, yeah, three years prior, he was playing lighter roles. And then he gets into 96, 97, 98, and he's just pumping out action flicks left and right. I mean, he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, I think he was trying to get the edge off of 
he had just done Leaving Las Vegas in 95, uh, where he was a suicidal alcoholic. And he got a lot of um, nominations for that. Maybe he wanted to get the uh, the edge of that particular role out of his psyche. So he just went to some mindless popcorn fair. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just speaking for him at this at this point. But Is he here? Do you want to ask him? <laughs> Let's pipe him into, uh, you, you sent up the Zoom link, right? Yeah, yeah, I send it to him. Oh, maybe he's just not home. I, I don't know. I also, I've seen other Nicolas Cage films in my time, but I think I'm more familiar with him as a character, like who Nicolas Cage has become. You know what I mean? And and the, like all over the place guy. I literally just saw him in. He's hosting uh, History of Swear Words on Netflix, but he's playing a character of himself of what he's known to be now. So all these films, I think. And then him doing National Treasure and all that kind of stuff. Like, it gave him this, like, character. So seeing him, I guess, sort of the origins of this character that he's become now, right? It's, it's an interesting way to see the movie now, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been on a journey. He's done a lot. Uh, he's done a lot of characters. You could say he's probably got the widest range. You know, he's making B-grade films. He's making stuff that's uh, considered award-worthy. He's doing uh, voiceovers for... Uh, Animated films and Travolta too. Is he? Where is he at? Is he still? Do they put him in action things still? He kind of went in a different direction once. I think once people noticed he was in Scientology. I was about to say. Got a little. It got a little dicey for him. He did a lot of stuff in the military. Uh, Battlefield Earth was a, a dub. He did some stuff. Uh, he did. He still. He still sprinkled in some action films though. Uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three is a remake of an original film from the seventies. Starring Denzel and him. He's the bad guy in that. For Paris was Love was that was twenty ten? Wow. He was he was sort of like he was supposed to be a lovable scamp of a uh, a character in that one where he's like teetering on the edge of villainy versus heroism. Eh, that was okay. Um and then kinda slows down for him. Yeah, probably that Scientology life didn't help. Yeah. He started picking projects that weren't great. Killing season I hear good things about. I think I saw it. It was him versus De Niro. Apparently, uh, two old guys fighting in the woods. But a lot of his stuff is more about drama. To be honest, I just like him more as like a lovable goof. It's it's hard to see him as that, especially because he st- he stopped doing it. So if, uh, to me, I kind of like the excess of him in this because I didn't have I don't really have much of an idea of him outside of films like this. Like I know he did the dancing stuff, but I never. I never watched Grease. I never watched Saturday Night Fever to completion. That wasn't the base level that I got for Travolta. I so I know him more for his dramas, for his action, for like always being in some sort of film, like suspense film. If something if something is tense, involving a family being threatened or him uh, uncovering some sort of military uh, plot, where. There's somebody who's a traitor. Like, that's what I know him for. But I guess it's a good thing to have, like, that shift in your career in that sense. Not that I expected him to break out into Grease Lightning. <laughs> for me, the humanity wasn't there as much in this character that it probably should have been. I think some of the just emotions were, like, wild and crazy, and I was just like, what was that? It just confused me, I think, more so. Even the comedies he was doing in the 80s and, I think, early 90s. Like, the Look Who's Talking stuff, I think he was in that. That middle era between musical and uh, an action. So I think that that then also shows us what will play when it comes to watching this film. Is that sometimes our, our biases come into play for what we see on the screen. Like if we if we associate a particular person with a particular type of character, and then we see them play something out of out of that range, maybe in a, in a darker, uglier place, it may not resonate as much with us. Yeah, maybe that would have been different if I actually saw like Moonlighting, for example, where Bruce Willis was more of like a TV show slapstick comedy or whatever that show was, romance that he did before Die Hard. I understand the bias, though. It's sort of what happened with Robin Williams back in the day when Robin was known for being... The funny guy. Funny guy. And then he started doing dark movies. Like he did um, One Hour Photo. He did uh, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia. And I think he did another film in a similar vein. And people were just, like, thrown off. Like, for, for me, something like that, I like it. But not if, if that's where you come in, where you know Robin for doing just funny stuff and being Genie and, you know, Patch Adams and stuff like that. And then you see him, you know, being a menace. I don't know if I like this. 
I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. It was easier to take that transition with something like Patch Adams for Robin Williams because he's it's also a dramatic movie that but that has comedic elements to it. There's ways to turn comedic bits in something like One Hour Photo, but it's harder to make that jump. And I don't necessarily think Face Off is dark. I think it has dark elements. I think the beginning I was like, this is going to take me into a deep, dark place. Mm, understood, yeah. But I, I don't think it got as dark as it could have, which I'm, I'm oh, no. grateful for. Action films can be much darker, literally and figuratively, than this. Uh, I think with this one, I just this is probably the one with the most edge to it out of the three that we've seen. Uh, when they, they push it as far as they can within the realm of Hollywood. I'm still just mad that they didn't give Margaret Cho any quips. I I can I can see where you're. I wanted her to be my secondary character that I fell in love with. There was none for me. I'm so mad. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think fi- I figured that Travolta would have been the one for you when he initially did the the, the switch when he first met Castle Troy at that jail and that thing said, "Oh, aren't you good looking?" And said, oh, "Isn't this a predicament?" And you know, I I felt like that would be the moment that you're like, "Okay, I like Travolta here." But I was wrong. I think there are moments where I was like, okay, but I never, or I saw the humanity, but I don't think I ever liked Travolta's character. I don't think I liked anybody, to be honest. I think I, I maybe, I liked the sensible black man. I didn't like the, <laughs> the black woman that was like, you need to do this, which I understand the point of there has to be someone that pushes you to switch faces. She's normally the person that plays the, the sensible role. Yep. She was on uh, SVU. I know. I looked at her resume and I was, or I looked at her IMDb and I was like, ah, yes, that's where I know her from. Many SVU episodes. Yeah, she's normally the sensible one, but she's, in this one, she was the one pushing. It's To me, I, I, I felt like this type of leap to take one's face off and change his whole body for a six-day window, I felt that that was a lot of money. Like, if we're really thinking, like, budget here, to do the whole thing of taking that person's face. Oh, like, from a realistic standpoint, not the movie budget, you're saying, like, if someone were to actually pay to do this. Yeah, that's, that's tens of millions of dollars just to get one bit of information. Like, I don't, I don't see them sinking money into this like that. that. Maybe that's just me. And he didn't ask any questions. He was just like, all right, all right, let me think about it. And then he was like, okay. There was no, like, but wait, hold on. Yeah. How yeah. does this procedure work necessarily? I know I saw them put together an ear. 3D printing back in the day. Revolutionary. But still, I was like, I don't, why were there no, I mean, I understand you have to do the thing to make the movie. There has to be a plot. Right. But I was like, she didn't sell me on this. Neither did, nobody did. Nobody had the sense to be like, what if you get stuck in this body? Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. They could have been like, oh, that'll never happen. And then it would have been some joke that they could have foreseen. You know what I mean? Or like, oh, that would never happen. Ha ha ha. They all laugh. And then, then voila. Yeah, I think that, I think because the pace of the film was so quick, I think that they wanted the actors to act through the logistics. So like when Cage saw himself, well, Travolta in Cage's body saw himself come into that jail, that, that questionnaire, sorry, the questioning room, you were supposed to feel that drop in the stomach that uh, Travolta and Cage's body felt. But if you're using logic, it sort of falls apart. There's only, I think there's only so much you can suspend your disbelief at. Also, the sounds of, like, the tools going into the people's faces and the actual, like, cutting of the faces. That was a lot for me. But I'm like, again, kudos to the special effects makeup people. They, like, did, like, a shot of, like, Nicolas Cage's cut face. And I was like, okay, great work. But, like, I'm like, how is he talking? When his mouth is, like, gone. You're, t- you're talking about when he was in the reflection of the guy's glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even just, like, the molds of the faces I thought was really cool. Like, the, the concept of that, that someone making those things was pretty cool. Like, the fact that someone someone's job on set was to make face molds that didn't really look like Travolta or Cage in those little things. But sure. I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia article, and it says that uh, John Woo was given major creative control in this film. All of this was his. It was uh, this film earned critical acclaim for its acting performances, stylized action sequences, the musical score, the emotional depth, the originality, the humor, the direction, and the stunts. It is often cited as Wu's best Hollywood film. Uh, it was a commercial success, and it was the highest, the eleventh highest grossing film of '97. The film was also nominated for an Academy Award 
in the category of sound effects editing. Okay, I'll give that to him. Whoever did sound, the sound editing, that was top-notch work. But this is also kind of one of those things where just because the film's a, another thing, and this is also another, we could sort of put this under the action film umbrella, is that just because the film's a commercial success doesn't mean that it's good. So I think, I think we've uh, talked about this one to the lengths that we will uh, talk about it. So it's all up to the, the rating system. So I guess the, considering this film was about faces, how many faces would you give Face Off as a final rating overall? Oh, see, I was going to give it two hand strokes down the face. <laughs> or I, I, I was going to leave butt grabs or peach references. Two suckings of the tongue. Ugh. No, I can't do that. Can't do that. We'll we'll, we'll go both faces. How many faces would you give face off? Two out of two out of five on the face front. Oh, two for the, one for Travolta, one for Cage. Okay. Talking through this, I had I had a higher grade in my head originally before I got on here and recorded this. Oh, did I convince you to go lower? You did. Oh wow. You did. I'm good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it to. Maybe three and a half. I'll give it three and a half. Oh, wow. That's closer than I thought we would be at the end. I can't get I had it over four originally. But as I talked to him, like, yeah, this kind of maybe not. Eh, I don't know. It's not a good film overall. It's, it's, it's entertaining, but it's not good. It's still in the realm of watchability for those who are action fans, especially. Uh, but this, this is one of those that would be harder to suggest to somebody start off with because even though it's even though it has a certain level of popularity from the 90s till now like um but seeing it again i think that there are there are better films to give to others to show them how good an action film could be i mean it it speaks to a specific time it speaks to a certain level of direction it speaks to a certain type of action film but in the grand scheme this one would probably be lower down the list to show somebody than per se a Die Hard or a Hannah or some of the other films that are further further in this uh, particular semester of classes. But I think it's necessary to show this one because it is such a well known film, and you have to have something that it's it's popular for a reason. It's well known for a reason. No, I understand. I understand that, but it's sort of like if you want to show somebody the creme de la creme of something. You're not necessarily going to show them the most popular. Well, that'd be a different story if you want to show somebody. If we're all going based on the art of it, then I think this class is a little different. Right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. This is this is a different. Like me showing this to you now is different because you're you're learning about it because you have an interest in learning about action as a genre. But if if somebody is there who has a base knowledge of action as a genre, or they make a request that's different, like oh, show me the best of this particular genre, face-off wouldn't necessarily make the top ten. It's a, it's a, it's a slight, subtle difference between what you're, look, what you're being taught versus what some fictional person may be looking for. I get you. Understood, as you would say. Yeah, but yeah, uh, 3.5. Like I said, entertaining. I liked the edge with which they pushed everything to, but they, it was sloppy. Everything was hurtling forward at a breakneck speed, at least to me. The edges sort of showed for me. Uh, like I, I saw how some of the sausage was made, so to speak. And uh, it sort of brings down the experience of it. I mean, I thought I was going to give it like a zero. I appreciated it in the sense to the of, of the genre. So I was trying to come at it from that rather than like my personal. Because I would, I would never seek out this movie. I feel like I probably would have seen Die Hard or something like that over time. But I, I understand the tropes and it's a, it's a film to study. So I was like, it hits the right, it definitely hits those things. It does. It also gives you a sort of a window of a particular time, you know, frozen in time. Like, 97 was sort of like that in terms of what you were being shown on screen. Yeah, when you didn't let Margaret Cho crack a joke. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Would have been so good. I have to, I'm, I'm thinking of what the next film will be. As I was watching it, I had some directions that I was going. The sequence on the airplane tarmac of Face Off reminded me of a particular film that I wanted to skip to or to get to next there's another there i could also pivot to another travolta film um but i don't know if i want to do that to you right away i need a break from staying alive <laughs> fair enough we should switch to animation oh i can do that that's fun we're going to go with 
The Adventures of Tintin. Ooh. 2011 film. It was a comic, right? It used to be a comic, or probably still is. I don't know. I don't know the specifics. But it was a comic strip that was usually in the Sunday paper. It was like a three-panel, four-panel thing. It was like a, an adventure over the course of years. Um, they made it into books, I think. They had a couple books. Some of it was a little racist back in the 30s. Some pictures and caricatures or some things that would be definitely canceled anywhere after 1965, per se. This Tintin this is a... This one is a... Uh, I'm not going to say a reimagining. It is a animated feature that they decided to make. I guess because they wanted to capitalize on the, the license of Tintin. Like, Tintin sells... He sells uh, worldwide. You know, he, he's one of those guys that people buy merchandise, they buy his books. He's popular globally. So Hollywood wanted to take a, a little chunk of money out of that. I'm excited for the turn into animation. Yes. Yes. I am too. Uh, I, I am a hashtag animation advocate. This should definitely be uh, same. Should be an interesting watch. All right. So with that, we will wind down here. In our particular class, uh, the bell's going to ring, and I'll let you guys go to your next class or your next free period. We talked about face-off, the ups and downs, the faces and the offs of uh, John and Nicholas, Mr. Wu, and all of the chaos that this film was all about. Uh, next episode will be about Tintin, uh, definitely a pivot. But yes, enjoy the rest of your day. We will reconvene. Uh, in the next episode. Is class dismissed? Class is dismissed. You've been listening to the Fundamentals of Action Film 101 podcast, hosted by Christopher Carter and Sarah Kerlin. Music composed by Michael Herron. Thank you for listening. <laughs>